0: I've been using Clark's Botanicals Smoothing Marine Cream for years, so when I recently found out the story behind the brand, I knew I had to get Francesco on the podcast. Now I understand why the products are so effective and gentle at the same time. Clark's Botanicals started in a hospital bed. It was developed by Francesco Clark and his father, a doctor and a homeopath, so it's no wonder that the formulas are clinically proven and clean. I've recently been using Invisible Hero SPF 30, and it's my new favorite sunscreen. It's a hyaluronic acid-based, anti-pollution, blue light protection skin saver that also gives me a poreless finish. Head to www.clarksbotanicals.com and use In My Chair 20 for 20% off of your order. That's clarkbotanicals.com, In My Chair 20. I'm Quinn Murphy, and this is In My Chair. Francesco Clark was 24 years old with a promising career at Harper's Bazaar when his entire world was turned upside down. On June 1st, 2002, Francesco drove headfirst into a swimming pool and crashed to the bottom. He became paralyzed from the neck down. Surgeons told his parents, quote, he will never breathe, talk, or move his arms on his own And forget about his legs. His skin, now permanently impacted, was prone to breakouts, dry patches, and redness, creating the perfect storm of ongoing ailments. Francesco enlisted the help of his father, a medical doctor, and trained in homeopathy to heal his skin. After five years and 78 formulations, the first Clark's Botanical Product was born. Today, Clark's Botanicals Company is valued in the tens of millions and available on Amazon, Space NK, Goop, and more. Francesco is also a national ambassador for the Christopher Reeves Foundation, helping to fund for the care and the cure of people with spinal cord injuries. Francesco, thank you so much for being here today and being in my chair.
1: It is such an honor to be here, Quinn.
0: The funny thing is, so I have... I get so many products all the time from different PR companies and I've been getting your products for a long time and I use them. I have the, you know, like Jasmine oil and all this stuff. I didn't know, however, the story behind the brand.
1: So it's funny because a lot of our customers say exactly the same thing. And I prefer that. I prefer that... I speak with somebody because they tried a product that they like, and then they understand kind of the intention and the story behind why that product was made because I never would want somebody to only buy the product because they uh, heard about kind of the trials and tribulations of my life. Um, And so I, I, I like that the product can stand for itself.
0: Right. Yeah. Um. I have a question. Do you look at your life in terms of kind of the accident and what happened before the accident and then life after?
1: That's a very interesting question. And actually, that's an interesting question because it's my 20-year anniversary Um, in a month. Um, of having my injury. And that's about the halfway point of my life thus far. Um, And I've never thought about that. No, I don't think of it as before and after because my life has gained so much more of a perspective of fullness after I learned so much about what it means to have a sense of family and support, and a purpose to your voice. I was twenty-four years old when I had um, this traumatic event happen to me, and when you're in your twenties, you you don't have enough of a voice. You don't. You think you own the world. You think you're going to live forever. You don't think about that greater picture of what life is, and so it's hard to say before and after for me it's just um i'm on this path because i was meant to be on this path and i've only been given this path because uh i can i can take kind of the way that it's going and um and make the best of it and and i'm very happy
0: I want to know a little bit before we get into the accident and then the creation of your brand. What? How would you describe your life and you as a person before that?
1: Um, it's funny because my my best friends uh, when I was in the ICU were having these conversations um, because each one of them would would come into the hospital room while I was intubated. I was on like support for almost two weeks. And um, one of my friends was flying back from Japan and she said, of course he's going to be okay. It's, it's Francesco. And I didn't know that she had said that, but the other, one of the other friends that was in that conversation relayed that to me and it gave me this sense of support and at the same time them realizing you're the same you're of course you're going to be okay it's still you you're mm. still you and that's why I don't I don't think I am that much different I say the same bad jokes that I said before I laugh at the same, (laughs) you know, I watch the same stupid things that I watched before. I have always been kind of that little bit more of a talker. I, I want people to have a good time and to feel comfortable. Um, when I'm when I'm in like a room with them or any sort of space with them. And so I always fall into being that type of person that has not changed. um, Were you
0: an overachiever?
1: Yes. um, Not because I felt like I should be, but I I worked harder because I felt like I wasn't, I, I felt like I wasn't as smart as my friends and I felt like I wasn't as funny as my friends. And so for me working hard meant just being part of kind of, my circle of, of friends. Mm-hmm.
0: Why'd you feel you weren't as smart as your friends?
1: Probably because um my mother is a PhD, my father has a medical degree. Uh my brother pretty much can like my brother was one of those people that could, or is one of those people that could read a page and remember every single thing that he read. So annoying. And it's the most annoying thing ever. And my sister is kind of the same way, whereas I'm more the person that's like, oh, I, I want to know more about the why of this happened and how and look at the different. But that's like uh, a different type of learning um, and a more inquisitive type of person. And now where I am in my life is like, we all have different personality types and we all have different ways of learning things. And so um, being an overachiever is for different people, a different way of thinking about um, how you learn and fitting that into uh, what makes you happy and having that healthy balance of the boat of the two of them. Um, I am one of those people that I can't, I can't watch TV when I wake up in the morning until I go to bed at night. Like that's not, who I am, I am more of a curious type of, um, personality type. And so keeping that in mind, um, I, I kind of know what to do to pique my interests and, and keep life interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, if if I didn't acknowledge that then I wouldn't do anything.
0: And so you were, starting a career in fashion, you wanted to be an editor or fashion stylist or.
1: Yeah. My, my goal was um, that I wanted to become editor-in-chief of GQ. Um, And I also knew at the same time that as I was an assistant, um, it was incredible to see, these design, uh, these yeah, these designers like Marc Jacobs and Donna Karen, and then um, look at what it meant to be a stylist um, for fashion houses and and different celebrities, and look at couture, and then look at what it means to produce shows, and the thing that you're buying after you see a show, and what it means to create that aspiration. To, there's like a lot of different pieces of the puzzle, puzzle that fit into you buying that thing that makes you feel good. And that doesn't mean that that thing has to be expensive um, because I mentioned couture. It doesn't mean that. It just means um, what are the different aspects of getting that message across to you know your best friend that um you haven't really met yet who says like wow I just love this uh this sweater that this person made and then they connect with you um as a customer and then you get to know them and then you're in sync so it becomes that way of communicating with people and I always knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur in some sort of way um I did you
0: study that no No, you didn't go to undergrad at FIT or study fashion marketing or anything like that.
1: No, I, um, I, I went to Johns Hopkins and I double majored in international relations and romance languages. And my goal was to become a diplomat. Um, and I took the foreign service exam and, and, uh, I don't think my family expected me to pass, but then when I passed, they were like, Oh God, you're going to get shipped to Iraq. And I'm like, Probably, you know, I probably will be shipped to somewhere that, um, is not like the safest place because that's what happens in the first couple of years that you get into that line of work. But, um, it was an exciting opportunity for me and, um, my, both of my parents, um, freaked out and I said, you know what, I understand your point of view as well. And so before saying yes, I, um, I thought about what I would want to do. And I started working in, in media and magazines.
0: So what, and then last before we get to the next chapter is what was your social life like? Because I, I believe that you were at a rental, you had, uh, you know, you were starting your life as a young man. What, what was that part of your life like?
1: I was just as social as I am now. Mm-hmm. And I think that that aspect of me doesn't, will never change no matter what. Um, my point of existence is connecting with other people and wanting to hear and have that empathetic kind of connection with somebody like like you and I are having now where we're Mm -hmm. we're talking we're connecting um and we're being social I'm I've never been not like that it's I've always been like that Mm -hmm. um so you know with with work um and working in in magazines before uh, there's a part of work that and it's very different now than it was before but it was very much about your people-to-people communication skills. I think that during COVID, it took such a dramatic turn um, for for everybody because suddenly you had to think about keeping that personal connection and make it meaningful without the ability to uh, meet up in person. Mm-hmm to see somebody face-to-face uh, without a computer screen. And it it, it took a, a big adjustment um, for everybody. And that's exactly what it felt like when I um, first sustained my spinal cord injury because I felt very detached. Um, and I felt detached because I couldn't feel 99% of my body. And so therefore I couldn't connect with my, myself as a human being. And thinking about connecting with another person was so foreign to me because I couldn't get up and, and grab for a glass of water. So why, why would I even consider going out and uh, you know being social, um, making new friends or anything like that? It simply did not cross my mind. Um, but after three years of readjusting and, um, going through this deep, dark kind of depression, I realized that that's not who I am. I am not that person. Um, I am by nature, a connector. I am by nature, um, a person that, that has to be outgoing and gregarious and um in essence like a human being um and so i looked in the mirror and i suddenly cared about the way that i looked because i wanted to first of all have self-respect um and because of that self-respect i wanted to go out in New York city. I wanted to, I don't know anything, go, go to central park. I wanted to go to the museum. I wanted to go up and down Madison Avenue. I wanted, I just wanted to like be part of the world again to live. And and that was a change. That was a big change.
0: So Francesco, for those people who are, don't know your story. And I don't know if this is like you, are so tired of telling this story or not, but it's um, a lot of people just don't know it. Can you just give us um, a little history about what happened? Absolutely. Okay.
1: Um, are you tired of telling this story? No, it's part of
0: okay. my life.
1: You know, it's, it's me. Uh, no, I, okay. I'm not tired of telling it, but thank you for asking. Um, I was, I was working my dream job. Um, at Conde Nast and I was recruited to Harper's Bazaar and I was in the editorial department after being at Bazaar for one year, um, I was promoted. And the weekend that I was promoted was Memorial Day of, uh, or just before Memorial Day of 2002. And I had a summer share house um, in Long Island. Where? In the Hamptons. Nice. So when I got to the house, and this was with friends of friends of friends of friends, so complete strangers pretty much, Um, I was alone, and the metal ring ladder that normally is in the deep end was in the shallow end. And when I saw that, I thought it was a deep end. So I dove in. Um, And the second that I dove in, my chin hit the bottom of the pool. And I shattered my C3, C4 vertebrae, which is about two inches above that little bump in the back of your neck, and I became paralyzed in the blink of an eye. Um, A couple of hours later, um, when I was helicoptered over to SUNY Stony Brook, the surgeon said I had a 19% chance of surviving not only that night, but the next two years of my life. Um,
0: How did you get from being paralyzed in the pool to... The helicopter.
1: I was awake and floating, face down. My arms were splayed to the side. I could see the bubbles floating up from my mouth. Somebody walked into the house and lifted my head above the water, and I said, "Call nine one one. You just saved my life." And then I kind of started bossing everybody around because I knew exactly what happened. It's the weirdest thing. Like, um,
0: so you never lost consciousness. you, never. You, you were like it you remember every moment
1: every single thing to the point that I wish I remember like for those first five to six years right after it happened, I wish I didn't remember um, every aspect of it because when I got to the hospital i I mean to this day i can I can remember the smells of what does it mean to be intubated to have some This tube going into your mouth, into your lungs, and then another tube going in your nose, and then the beeps um, of all the machines keeping you alive at night, and like you're waking up from a nightmare at two forty-five a.m. to realize that the nightmare is your reality, and you're like, God, I hope that was just a like a bad dream, and you're like, Nope.
0: And let me ask you something. In that moment, was there any part of you that was um, grateful that you? were alive because if that person hadn't seen you in the pool, you would have drowned to death. I assume.
1: I was drowning. Right. No, you're totally right. Yes. Um, I was very thankful to be alive and I did, you know, the near death experience that I had was in the pool as I was face down and my eyes were open. And it's not that like, your whole life flashes before your eyes, or at least for me, this is what it was. It was more that the greatest parts of my life flashed before my eyes. And the part that really affected me was I knew that there was so much more that was better, that was to come. And I wasn't about to let it stop there. And so there was a part of me that felt like, okay, this is happening right now. I'm not going to let it finish here.
0: So fight or flight, and you were like fight from the very moment that it happened.
1: Yes, but it's, I'm happy that you brought that up, but it's not even a question. It's like, you know that fight or flight is kicking in, but you don't have to, you don't have time to answer that question. It's just already the way that you're acting tells you the answer right away.
0: And do you think that's universal or that's who you are?
1: It's who it's my DNA.
0: Yeah.
1: It's just like, there's no way for me to say the way that somebody else would act in a situation. Um, There's also no way for me to know how I would have acted in the situation ahead of time. Um, But it's also second nature. And it's like, I never had to think about what it meant to be, you know, a fighter or somebody who would kind of run away and give up. It just kicked in.
0: And that never, when you were in rehabilitation and those moments when, I imagine it takes a while to process everything that's happened, right? Like, I mean, maybe even still, but how did you ever have a moment where you were like, I can't do this or um you know I I don't see how this is going to play out in a way that I will be happy with or you just were like a fighter the entire time
1: I that's a very good question. Thank you. <laughs> um I have to say this about my experience is it was not as difficult for me to deal with everything that happened when I think about it myself. When I think about what happened to me and the amount of trauma that it put my family through, that is what gave me a lot of grief. And that is the part that um, I couldn't deal with. So, the near-death experience, while it made me grateful for me to be alive, it caused a sense of post-traumatic stress in seeing that it affected my, my, my brother, my sister, my mother, and my father. Like, it affected your close family. Um, And then in seeing the reflection of like the way that they were sleeping by my bedside in the hospital every day, taking turns, coming to visit me. um, You know, sometimes it was two two hours in traffic after work for them to come and seeing the amount of anguish that it put them through. All you want to do as the person that survives that, is to fix it. How do you you fix that? How do you make that better? And how you make that better, in the beginning I felt like, I don't want them to worry about me. I've been too much of a worry. So my fallback was, I don't want them to think about me at all. And so I would shave my head bald every week. I would wear the same T-shirt every day. I wore the same paper hospital pants every day. And all I would do for nine or 10 hours a day at physical therapy, whether it was at home or one of the best rehab hospitals in, in New York, New Jersey, was to try to wiggle my my pinky or or my toe or move my leg and try to fix what happened.
0: And when you say fix what happened, did you mean so that you would be fully rehabilitated so that they wouldn't have to worry about you?
1: Yes. It becomes this, you, you also think about like, how do, I, how do I fix my body? But part of yourself is also the very, very close people that make up who you are. But you
0: were projecting onto them. I was. Did you talk to them about what their actual experience was like? Yes.
1: But it's never really, you don't really know what their actual experience is like until you live through it. And,
0: um, I it's funny because I hear you saying that you didn't want them to see certain parts of you because you didn't want them to feel bad. And I'm sure they didn't want you to see certain aspects of them because they didn't want you to feel badly for them. So there's kind of this thing all around. That's like, no one is just like flat footed saying like, this is where we are because everyone's so worried about the other party.
1: That is very true there is there is you know a slap of reality that you deal with when you have um a traumatic life changing injury where you do have to talk about you know insurance, and I do need um people to help care for me um outside of my family, and so there was no ignoring it. there was no way of um oh let's not talk about it and Oh, let's not, you know, think about what it means to plan for quality of life and to care. Um, no, you have to, you have to, I constantly have to plan, um, for my days ahead because I can't do things on my own like I could before. And that's okay. It's just the way that my life is, but it also means you can't ignore it. And, um, Yes, there is a sense of you wanting to protect the people that you care for, um, but, but imagining, understanding the amount of, of uh, grief of hearing, you know, one of the best doctors say you're not going to live and then seeing the effects of that um, and then you do live It just makes you, it's not a bad thing because it makes you appreciate um, that strength and that bond that you have with these people. And in appreciating that, I also want to thank them for everything that they've done and that they always continue to do. Um,
0: What does your day look like?
1: Every day, like right now, yeah, like um, what
0: does it what is your life like from from day to day?
1: Oh, it depends on the day, I mean like mm-hmm. i'm not I'm certainly not recording these like podcasts with you every day, but like, right. um I am constantly needing to to think in ways that I'm more of a multitasker, so there are certain things that I have to do at the same time as I'm on conference calls, for example. So I have a machine that stands that I, that I use that I used to stand every day and I use it for an hour and I'll be on conference calls while I do that. Whereas, whereas in the beginning of me adjusting, I would only be standing and not even think about like working or having a job because I didn't even know that that was a possibility And also, like, none of this technology um, was really readily available at the time. So all I could do was this one thing. And then what I started to ask myself was, like, well, why can't I, you know, have a spinal cord injury and do something? Why can't I do physical therapy and do something? Why does everything have to be or? And so... In thinking about it that way, it made life more fun. Um, not everything was one-dimensional. Not everything was about um, physical therapy. Not everything was about um, – it, it kind of like it wasn't, it wasn't only through this lens of um, being in a wheelchair. And right. it was more of I'm a human being, you're a human being – and, um, I don't know, by, by, you know, for example, I, I was at a, uh, a work meeting and I didn't want to go home. And, um, my partner and I went to go see the share show because it was cheap tickets that day. And we had a lot of fun, but it's like, you know, it's fun. You want to have fun. You want to be, mm-hmm. um, you want to live a full life. And, um, at the same time, Everybody has things that happens in their lives. Mine is visible. Many people have things that are not visible. so if you're walking down the street, you don't know what's going on in everybody else's lives. Um, what's interesting about Clark's botanicals is that, like, if I'm speaking to somebody about the deep moisture mask as an example, um by the end of the conversation, they're telling me a story that, a life story that has affected them through a loved one or themselves. But we're talking about a moisturizer. And you're talking about a product that you would assume would be only about something that's very shallow and frivolous, but in reality brings a lot of meaning and self-care and, um voice, um, to people because it makes you feel good. And it makes, gives you that opportunity to look in the mirror and, and kind of face yourself. Even if it's just for like two to three minutes a day, you're able to have that conversation with yourself and think about like, what do I want to do today? Who do I want to be to get that done? And then you have the opportunity to do that every day. Instead of thinking of these overly complicated, elaborate kind of routines that are like, I need to do my downward dog on my Scorpio sign of the full moon rising and the, you know, like making it fun and making it mm-hmm. kind of like making it a routine a, and a positive habit that you know that you could do every single day, but also playing ABBA in the background is fun. It makes it, we're all human. We all, we all want to, to think that way.
0: Part of the reason that I have every guest on the show is the main thing is no matter what their achievements are, and everybody I have on is really, you know, achieved a lot is I want to learn from them. I have definitely suffered with depression growing up and, uh, through the years. And I haven't dealt with any of the level of trauma that you have. Um, I don't even think that, and honestly, I don't think that I would be capable of doing what you've done. I I'm strong in some ways, but I don't think I had, I would have the strength that you do, which is why I was asking you so much about your life before. I'm like, are you just that person who has this life force that I can't, even learn from because you're you're just, your DNA is so different from mine. How did you go from, um, cause you mentioned that you did feel depressed. Oh yeah. To get out of it.
1: Oh, um, well, first of all, thank you. Um, uh, but secondly, you don't know, you don't know. Um, you, Everybody is capable of so many things. Um, I sincerely hope that you never have to go through any sort of trauma to realize that. Um, And the goal is to not have to go through any sort of trauma to realize what you can achieve. Um, You should be, I would have loved to have, uh, to realize that in my 20s without having uh, lived through trauma. So I just want to say that first. Um, But the depression that I dealt with afterwards, how did I get out of it? I had enough. I had um, in dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder and this very deep depression for three years and and re- adjusting to my life in, um, and adjusting to, to being in a wheelchair. Um, I had to realize after a while, and it was the day that Christopher Reeve passed away, Superman suddenly was gone. And when Superman, uh, was gone, I realized that he did so much, um, He challenged everybody in a way that was very productive and positive. And why couldn't I do that? Um, Why is another human being allowed to live your dream life except for you? Um, everybody, Everybody has 24 hours in a day. They don't have a right. Nobody has a right over you to the life that you're really dreaming of and thinking about what it means to be successful. So that part of it, and it's such a basic like self helpy kind of message that you think about, but that's the reality is that like nobody else has a right to that more than you. Um, and I started to think about like, well, why not? Why shouldn't I do more? Why shouldn't I um, think about what I want to achieve in my life? And why can't I have a right to be happy? And was it
0: important process to feel to go through the depression?
1: Um, it could, was. You for skipped me, that. It really it was for me. And only in the sense that I realized this is not who I am. Um, I had, I personally had to go through to the absolute bottom that I could be to then, I felt like I exploded up from there because I said, everything has to change. This is not who I am. I'm sick of this. Done. Um, But that doesn't mean that other people have to go through the same thing. Um and I think people can do it at different levels. And um I, I I just changed everything about my life through this sheer frustration. Um and then because of that realization that life continues and if you want to participate in it, then you have to participate in it. If you don't, then it's your it's on you as well. Um,
0: did you get outside help in terms of therapy or any uh, meds? Like, you know,
1: no, I I mean, outside therapy, 100%. Even when I was uh, an inpatient at Mount Sinai, we had group therapy sessions. We had group therapy sessions that, um, I was in charge of sometimes we had different people that were in charge of them, but I was, it was so much fun to like do group therapy with everybody that. I was just, I was
0: already in your world. And I loved it. To, I mean, right. it was
1: so nice to like speak with other people that went through similar experiences and connect with them on how to cope. Um, I connect with them on what are you doing to, to get through like a hard week or a hard day. And sometimes it would be very difficult discussions, but sometimes it was fun.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, but you said you did not go to any uh, meds, like Lexapro or anything like that? Like No,
1: you know. I, I didn't take medication. Um, I remember that they had given me something when I was an in, um, inpatient uh, in the ICU, or about to leave the ICU. It didn't mix well with me. I kind of mm-hmm.
0: felt
1: nauseous all the time, and I didn't really feel much better, but that doesn't mean that it's not right for other people. Totally. Um, And for me, what, what worked was talk therapy um, and really, really being diligent about it. And really, even with that, you can't just do one therapy session and then expect to get better. Same thing with medication. Right. You have an imbalance, like, you can't just take a medication on Monday and then Tuesday you're all better. So right. um, it's even support.
0: 10 years, 20 years down. Like I went to therapy for years and I'm not anymore, but I could go back. Um, I wanted to ask you what you learned about, or if anything about the body versus the mind versus the spirit.
1: Yeah. That's a very good question because I used to work in this machine that's feeding everybody these messages of what it means to be attractive.
0: You had a six pack.
1: Isn't that the goal that you see on the front cover? Isn't that the goal that like, aren't we all supposed to be funny? Aren't we all supposed to be absolutely perfect all the time? And aren't we all supposed to be the Instagram filter and aren't we all supposed to be this, that, or the other? Um, Suddenly when I, you know, I was in my twenties and I went on Monday, I was able-bodied on Tuesday. I was disabled. And I can tell you for a fact, you are not treated the same. You are not, you're just people treat you differently. And it's not something that people necessarily do in a in a mean way or um, you know things like that it's not always um, maleficent but or malicious it could
0: be sympathy or yeah. you know and that is different though
1: but there was there were many instances where it felt like I did not exist when I would be in a room with strangers, it almost felt like you were not ignored because being ignored meant that you were acknowledged. And then you, people looked around you. It was as if people could see through you because you were made of like vapor and you were not there. You were not a human being to be um, acknowledged. And the day before it was the opposite. The day before it was, I see you, I want to talk to you, I wanna like it, it was I wanna a very,
0: sleep with you.
1: Very different thing. Yeah, I mean there's that's one of the that's one of the feelings from seeing somebody and and being attracted to them is seeing that inner light and seeing that confidence and like I wanna be with that person forever for the rest of my life. And whether it's um, emotional or sexual or whatever it's an, it's an instinct and the, the slap of reality um, afterwards was like wow I cannot believe that it happens this much on a daily basis even with microaggressions um, to so many people And at at any different level. So you don't need a disability to feel this at all. Um, But this happens so much. Um,
0: Did this help you find your spirituality?
1: Yes. um, It did in the sense that... I'm able to tap into the people that I, that I know and love that are either alive and I think about them as like the friends that I would ask a question to, like what would you tell me right now kind of thing, even though they might be like a town over or a city over or something, or asking that same question to my grandmother who's passed away. So that sense of something that's bigger than us, yes, I do think of that. You
0: have faith.
1: Yes, I do have faith. Um, I think of, I don't know, it, it's like a, it's not a secular religious type of theory, but I think of a greater good Um, I think it's important to give back, um, and to think of humanity where we are part of a, of a group that should be responsible for each other, um, to some extent. Um, I don't like to live in existence that's completely selfish, um, because in the end, you'll just be alone if that's the way that you think.
0: And, um, what's the point? You know, um, Do you think you know the meaning of life?
1: No. I don't know anything. Are you kidding me? I feel like I don't know. I I,
0: I, I think you know a lot more than, than I do. I mean, I think if, I if you've think gone so. through what you've gone through and can get up and defy the odds and have this successful brand and have purpose and passion, um, I think you have a lot to that you, that you could teach people.
1: Thank you. But that does not mean that I know more about answering the meaning of life than you do. It just means that What
0: about the meaning of your life?
1: The meaning of my life is constantly evolving. The meaning of what it means to acknowledge the fact that I have so much to learn as I'm alive longer makes me realize I have so much more to learn about meaning of life and when I was younger and stupid like when you're young you're, you're not that smart because you don't have that much to compare yourself to and so when you're young you're kind of just like I know everything and everything's gonna be great and blah 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 and so as you're getting older you start to realize like no I actually know less and less um, than I thought I would but I'm open to learning more. And I think one of the things that's changed a lot is uh, accepting different people's perspectives um, and understanding where they come from to learning about yourself as well in the way that you talk about your depression and the way that you deal with it through medication and talk therapy. And by the way, just acknowledging depression as an example Many people don't do that. A lot of people don't do that.
0: Most and people probably don't. Because if, if you, you think about like the project, world.
1: It's right. like a very, you know, and, and it's this, there's a duality to the way that I, I, I am frustrated by sometimes. There's this sense of, I just want to show my true self. Um, and then social media. And everybody's kind of saying, like, oh, magazines and Photoshop, it's overly perfected. But then there are these, like, overly perfected photos on social media that were constantly fed to, fed um, by influencers and all these kind of different, different sources that are so, so, so perfect. Um, And you inherently are like, well, I'm not like that. Why am I not like that?
0: But you're um, not in that. You're not, at least in that sense, and I don't mean this offensively, it might come out that way, you're not in that rat race anymore. You don't have no, to compete with the instigate with the abs you used to have. Is that liberating?
1: No, it's not. Everybody is in that. Um, you can choose to be in that in a, in a way or not, but it's part of society um
0: so you still feel the the effects of like living up to those ideals that were fed through social media through the american dream through all of that you still deal with that
1: absolutely i'm still a human Mm -hmm. being i'm i'm very much still a human being with um too many flaws that i'm always like working on and i can always be a better person that's the whole point is right. um,
0: nobody's. But have concerned. your priorities shifted? Yeah, or your goals and ideals.
1: Yeah, yeah. My my priorities have have shifted. I, um, I'm not. It's not about impressing other people, and for me, I'm much more interested in having meaningful relationships with people um whether they are new friendships or what have you um that is much more important to me the meaning behind doing it and being in tune with who i am and with the people that who i'm surrounding myself with before um it was i think it was like more hyperactive about like wanting to see everything and do everything and an impatience. There was an impatience Mm -hmm. that comes with being um, younger, but, but social media has a role to play for everybody. For example, I was speaking to some, to a friend of mine the other day and she was saying, Oh, I'm not on social media. Like Instagram doesn't affect me. And Facebook doesn't affect me. I'm like, you're on LinkedIn like all the time, which is not, that's the same thing. It's just in a different kind of way. And then, um,
0: it probably affects everybody, even if you're not on any of it, just in the way that people shop and consume and the way that commerce happens now, it affects everybody. It's like, you know, no one is free of the economy.
1: You know, It is what it is. And it's, it's a way for people to communicate in a good way. It can be negative, but it can also be very good.
0: It's a tool.
1: So, you know, using, um, this, this tool to communicate used in a productive way could be good, but you know, it's not that I can see parallels from the old world of publishing and the new world of having influential people that can relay a message Mm -hmm. Um, and, and the ethics behind that. I can see that.
0: Um, Okay. Really quickly. You said you have a partner. Yes. Okay. Um, Tell me that was a relationship that was formed after the accident.
1: Yeah, we were, we were just at, um, a work, not, no, I was at a work, uh, conference, a work meeting. And by chance we had, um, uh, mutual friends that, um, planned a dinner and, um, the dinner was scheduled for like 5.15 PM or something like that. I was like texting them. I'm going to be late. Um, the conferences or the meeting's not over yet. Um, and then I started getting this like barrage of texts. You better not be late, show up, like get your ass in the car, like all these different things. And I texted back and I said, like, well, what am I gonna be my husband or something? And silence after that, like not a reply. And so then I kind of sat there like, wait, what? Is something happening? By that point, I was already in the, in the car on the way down, and um, it kind of just, like, clicked. And as soon as we met, we
0: started to see each other at least four days a week. You hadn't known each other at all? No. No. Um, why did your friends think that this was going to be a match?
1: I never asked that question. And I don't know that they knew because two of the friends um, I I had only met like once or twice. Um, But I think it was just like, I don't know. There's something about them that maybe could click very well or not click at Mm -hmm. all. And it clicked. It clicked really well. Um, I'm very lucky. And, And
0: you guys have been together for a while. Yeah. He is not uh have spinal injury or in a wheelchair.
1: No, 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 no. No, and he works in uh renewable energy. So a completely different
0: different yeah
1: industry and yeah.
0: So I wanna go back now and talk about the brand. You decided because of your body wasn't able to sweat, is what I read. You needed products specifically for, you know, the different, you know, issues that you were having, was there not anything already available from a doctor, from, you know, a chemist or whatever that on the market, why did you decide that you wanted to make the product?
1: I never, I never formulated Clark's Botanicals to sell it to other people. I created Clark's Botanicals, and it started with the Smoothing Marine Cream, but the Jasmine Catalyst Complex was five years of research and 78 versions that made my skin look worse until we found the right ratio and right mix of ingredients to the proprietary complex. Um, But it was purely an emotional and psychological exercise because that day that I decided to become an active participant in my own life is the day that I looked in the mirror for the first time in three years, because if I had looked in a mirror before then um, I would have only noticed the wheelchair and I would burst into tears. If I was in a room that had a lot of windows and I saw my reflection, I would start crying because it reminded me of this kind of, bad experience that my family went through and I went through. And so I couldn't have that conversation with myself until I realized that I wanted to live again. I wanted to have a happy life. And so in looking in the mirror, I realized the effects of a skin that does not react to temperature that does not sweat. And my skin you know, it looked like rosacea. It was ten, looked 10 years older um, than it was. I had oily and dry spots at the same time. I tried the $300 creams. The, I tried the La Mer's, I tried the Shiseido's. I tried prescription. I tried CVS brands. I tried, you know, yes to tomatoes and yes to potatoes, like anything that, that was out there. I tried and nothing worked. And um, I decided to to look to my father, who's a medical doctor and a homeopath and using him as the encyclopedia. Like I, I have to go to a meeting. I was invited to go to a meeting the next day um, to become an advocate for other people with disabilities and for the elderly. And I'm like, I want to put on a real shirt. And I want to meet these people that I've never met before, but like, I want to present myself in a way that I want to be presented because I feel happy and I feel confident. I want to look happy and I want to look confident. Um and that's how Clark's Botanicals came to be and
0: not even thinking that one day you were going to sell it, you know, to no, consumers.
1: Never ever.
0: So how did you get from that having this great product to getting it on shelves or, you know, to consumers?
1: So Glenda Bailey was the editor-in-chief of Harper's Bazaar. And when I worked there, um, she's, she was always just lovely um, to work with. And she, after my injury, um, she called me in to meet with her for tea in uh, at the Hearst building. And I couldn't afford an aid or anything at the time. So my sister was in medical school and... Also, like driving me around to see friends and do things like that, and my sister was like, "Let's go, let's do it." Um, so, I went with my sister um, to this nice meeting, and Glenda said, "You know, you look the same as before. You just look like you're about to stand." And my sister looked at her and said, "Like, well, he's not just sitting around doing nothing," and she stole one of the glass vials that was on my desk and gave it to Glenda. And this was like an ugly lab sample that I had 15 of on my desk. And then I noticed it'd gone down to 11 and then eight. And it's because there were these like kleptomaniac pyramid scheme of my mother and my sister stealing them because my skin looked better. And then theirs looked better. And then they started giving it away. And then I started giving away to people and whatever. I, I, I leave this meeting kind of mortified because it wasn't a sales pitch or anything. And we get a phone call um, three weeks later from Glenda's assistant. And she said, Glenda's going to shoot it in the September issue. And I said, no, I'm not really interested, but thank you. Um, And she said, don't hang up. I'm going to put you on the phone with the beauty director. And the beauty director gets on the phone and she's like, listen, whether you like it or not, It's gonna be in there. We're giving you six months, make it look chic, make enough of it, but it's happening. And it felt like that moment when I realized that the way that you define family is not necessarily only your DNA, but the people that you choose to be around. And the people that support you and see the real you, see what you're capable of doing and support you even before you've achieved everything that you've achieved. And that was what Glenda did for me. She was like, you're doing this and I know that you will. Um, And that's what it became. The brand that that you know
0: you launched when it was printed in the September issue
1: yeah wow yeah. um and it is very very much a pinch me moment right now for me to be talking about it with you because you know I'm in it every day I um I am the investor I am the founder I am the CEO and I'm lucky to have a team of incredible people to get to work with on Clark's Botanicals, but I love what I do and I work on it every day. It's uh, it's part of kind of my life.
0: Um, so you don't have investors, no. Wow. And do you have a a plan with this? Is the is the goal to get sold to a big conglomerate one day, or are you just want it? To be a, you know, small company?
1: No. uh, My goal is for Clark's Botanicals to be the most trusted, clean skincare brand um, in the world. Because it makes your skin glow. Because it's giving you the sense of empowerment. Because it's making you see what you're capable of doing. Because you look so good and you feel so good that you can do a little bit more and feel a little bit more and and have that sense of gratitude. So my goal is to expand who we are as a teeny, teeny brand right now to something that makes you acknowledge the beauty that we all have within. And that's what I love about skincare. Um, skincare is not about concealing. Skincare is not about hiding a flaw that when you wash your face at the end of the day, you're kind of like washing away a mask. That's not what skincare is.
0: No, Um, it's not makeup. It's skincare
1: is being completely transparent and seeing that real you and bringing forth that inner glow and that inner energy and that confidence. And skincare is all about not hiding and using less of um, products so that you don't need as much time having these moments to get ready to really live, live your moment that you want to live um, doing whatever you want to be doing um, because you look, you look the way that you, you, you want to look.
0: I know you recently reformulated and repackaged the, the entire line. Yeah. To be, you know, cleaner and greener and more environmentally, um, you know, conscious. But is that expensive?
1: Yes, (laughs) it is. And it's so sad, but it's getting better. I mean, the wonderful thing about speaking um, about sustainability and using packaging that is sustainable now is that, you know... When we launched, we were the first clean skincare brand. Um, Wait, what? (laughs) We never never even thought about what that meant. But it's the way that I was raised because I was given antibiotics whenever I needed them growing up. But I also have blood work done twice a year and I get vitamin drips uh, once a week based on the blood work. That is the essence of clean beauty, having science when you need it and the best of nature and mostly nature um, when, whenever you can. So it's creating kind of this happy marriage of nature and science to give you the best results. Um, and I grew up that way. So for me, when we, when we launched Clark's botanicals and not having parabens and not having phthalates and not using petroleum and, and not having a lot of these ingredients that other people were using. First of all was because I wanted something that would make my skin look good and nothing else was working. So that was number one.
0: I Do you have- think those ingredients not only are not good for the environment, but they actually are not good for your skin.
1: Well, nothing was working for me.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so for for my skin that is like incredibly reactive and like brushing my cheek and then like seeing the, how quickly it starts to like have a reaction on my cheek. Imagine if you're putting on a product that does that and what the effects are all day, but understanding um, what it means to have a formulation of something that not only is sustainable but also is immunostimulating and improving your skin over time can be very impactful. And um, being clean for me, I don't know. I don't even I, I, I don't even think about it that way. I think more yeah. about like how do you innovate nature? How do you make natural ingredients innovative? And how do you have the most beautiful skin that you can have?
0: Yeah. So your products are by no means the most expensive on the market, they're also not cheap. No. In terms of, you know, cheap, whatever that means to people. Do you feel like like that the price point is as affordable as possible given that it's responsible and clean and that Mm -hmm. your customer is willing to pay that because they know that?
1: Everything about Clark's Botanicals is based on intention. So my number one goal is for you to spend less time in front of the mirror and to have your skin look the best it's ever looked. What that means for me, and with somebody, you know, I have a physical disability. I have less time to get ready because it takes me longer to get ready. So I need overachieving products where I'm putting on the Red Rescue Overnight Cream at night. I don't have time to put on three products. I have time to put on one product, but I'm expecting better results. So if you're buying one of our products, you should be expecting to be replacing three traditional products that are on your bathroom shelf. They are, Clark's Botanicals is not less expensive, but it is replacing two or three products that you're typically using. So you don't need to be using very much product of our product. You need to use very little of it, in fact, which everybody hates when I say that on my team.
0: Because you want to sell, you want people to buy every month.
1: Well, they want that, but I'm just like, no. Right. The reality is, you don't need to use a lot of smoothing marine cream. You need very, very little. You don't need a lot of lip balm because it has dehydrated algae microspheres in it that are penetrating for hours.
0: Oh, I forgot about those dehydrated algae in them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Uh, But like the product has to actually work and the ingredients have to actually work. We're not always, you know, It's not just about using...
0: It's not an exercise in in sustainability. It's a brand. It's a skincare brand that happens to also... You're
1: not... You're never buying a brand only because it's sustainable because you're not going to buy it again if that's the reason why. That's not why you buy a moisturizer. You're buying a... You're buying your favorite moisturizer. You're buying your favorite SPF because it's doing something the way that you want it to be doing it, or it's overachieving. Now, for me, sustainability, everybody should be sustainable, clean. I've lived in a world where my entire household is clean. So I don't understand what it means not to be that. So I don't even mention that anymore. It's just like, I just want to give in. Yeah. I just want to make products where, you know, you look like you look like you just had the makeover, but you didn't realize that you did. Um, like you just look like you had your your big reveal, but you didn't realize that that you are because you're just you know you're kind of feeling a fantasy yeah. or,
0: and you really believe in your brand.
1: I am my brand. yeah I am Clark's Botanicals, and and I love it and I'm proud of um, I'm proud of all the mistakes that I've made. Um, because I've learned from them. I'm proud of, um, what it means to be a small independent brand in the beauty industry. And that's thankfully why we have such a high returning customer rate that people believe in us too. And they keep buying our products. That's the only reason why we're still here. That's why I'm, I'm able to speak with to you and have this conversation with you. Um, have
0: you started to make money in the sense that like you, oh yeah. you put all this money back into the company, I'm sure forever that I always hear people w- with brands be like, you think that they're making all this money, but it, a lot of it goes back into to the brand.
1: So that is a wonderful question
0: because
1: when COVID started, I think everybody that, was working anywhere, started to think of like, am I going to keep my job? And my number one goal when COVID started was everyone is keeping their job. We are balanced budget. We are sustainable also from a profit and loss point. How of
0: many point. employees do you have?
1: We're at Nine now and we've expanded um, which is a wonderful thing but it's not any different from when you have two or three Um, so it's kind of this as you grow the challenges grow with it Um, but it's a wonderful kind of thing to think of as we are this group of people that is so they are much smarter than I am in the fields that they specialize in. And I never want to be the smartest person in, in the room when I'm with them, which also means I could be the stupidest person in the room. at
0: the same As time. I am. But,
1: but like, they're so good at what they do and they're so passionate uh, of, of what they do that it's a joy to work with this dynamic and growing group of people that you know clark's botanical started from a hospital bed who would have ever i never would have thought that i never would have i never would think of myself as leading you know a board meeting or or anything like that or going into a meeting with buyers um, at different stores and and then really like taking notes and listening. That's not something that I ever thought about before. And, um, but we're all people. So it doesn't matter like who you are. And when you start to think about it from that interpersonal kind of connectiveness to other people, you also start to realize that you, you want them to feel welcome. You want everyone to feel welcome and included. Um, and that goes back to what i was what you were asking me before it's like when you walk down the street you you want somebody to see you from down the block and like wanna sm- they want you want them to smile at you and you want them to kind of like turn their head a little bit and be like i want to get to know that person for whatever reason but like that's that international uh language that beauty gives us that even if you don't speak the language you want to like you're attracted to that that confidence and that happiness and that that sense of energy
0: mm. let's play um tried and true and something new um do you have a product that you have used for a while now that you swear by and then is there something else that's new to you that you've been loving
1: Um, well, new, our SPF, Invisible Hero, SPF 30. And I use it every day because I, it's, it just makes my skin glow. It's the, it's our hyaluronic acid-based, um, 100% mineral, anti-pollution, blue light protection, SPF. It smells like, it smells like, I don't know, you're... It almost smells like you've just showered whenever mm-hmm. it is during the day that you're you're putting it on. Um and it also acts as um, you know, it gives you that little boost of moisture, but it's pork perfecting at the same time.
0: Um tried and true. I received that a few weeks I think a month oh, ago a few weeks ago, and I've been using it every day. And I love it.
1: Oh Yeah. Um I, I have to say SPF is not easy.
0: Um, I've been wearing SPF since I was like 21. So, you know, for at least 5 years now and um I won't go outside <laughs> without SPF.
1: I know as a as a uh, 26-year-old myself. It's mm-hmm. it's one of those things that I swear Just by.
0: But you have to do.
1: Yes. But you know what it is? Like I also like the way that it feels on my skin. I like the way that I get that instant kind of um boost and the old SPFs that I'm sure you and I have both tried. There was one. I remember that I was using, um, in the nineties when I was in college, I thought I looked normal, but then somebody took a photo and it had the flash on. Oh, and I could see like white spots all over my face. Yeah. And it was like the wall of shame because one of my friends um, had taken that photo and she put it up like in one of those like huge clear photo kind of montages that people used to put on their walls. Mm-hmm. And, stuff. and I was like, that is the most embarrassing photo of me.
0: <laughs> I always found that the mineral before to be hard for men because women could put makeup on top. Yeah. You know, but for men, I w- always was like, oh, but then I just even more like ghostly, you know, but they have come a long ways, I would say. And the other thing I like about the mineral ones is that they work right away. So like a lot of times you're like running out of the house and, you you know, once you put them on, it's a physical barrier. And you yeah. just, you really like, you could put it on and go for a run or go for a walk and be like, okay, I'm I'm okay.
1: And you bring up a really good point because... Um, the difference between our female customers and our ma- male customers that I've come to learn, even from my personal experience and what you just said, is that men expect their skin to look good like immediately after using a product. And they don't want anyone to know any product that they use. Like right. men are the I woke up like this demographic. The female demographic is very different from my experience, where they are much more willing to try something new. And oh, if there's a new ingredient that has you know some sort of research behind it and sounds interesting, they're more willing to try it. Um, and they're less loyal to a brand that they might have used for a couple of years, which actually is kind of a welcoming person to to launch a new business with because they're willing to give you a a shot and um, they're willing to do that.
0: Whereas women follow trend more.
1: Well, men will use the same thing for like 10 years.
0: As long as you don't know I'm wearing it, I'm using it.
1: As long as I look, if I look good, you have me for life. Um, And I never really thought about that, but the way that you described it is very much the way that I also used products um, historically myself. And then in looking at like the way that our um, customers have conversations with us, it's very much the same way. Yeah. It's very much. Do
0: you have a tried and true? Our lip balm. Oh.
1: Ultra rich lip balm. And the reason why is, um, you know, Growing up in Italy, I always used to use Labello, um, and it smells like when I used to go skiing. Like there's a little bit of coconut in there, a little bit of something. But then after a couple of minutes, like my my lips would feel dry. And so, in creating our ultra rich lip balm, I wanted a lip balm that would be um, healing, um, hydrating, and would work for hours, not just for minutes, and not be petroleum-based. And that um, almost gave me, like, a little bit of a breakdown to, like, create the lip balm because it's not an easy product to make. And um, at the same time, it took the most time uh, to formulate.
0: I need to try that because I'm, like, use lip balm all – I just have dry lips all the time. What's your favorite lip balm you know, I use homeoplasmine a lot. Uh, oh, I the French, tried that. It's a French like neosporin. Like every French household has homeoplasmine in their oh, yeah, totally yeah. pharmacy. It's yeah. pink. Um, I really like it before bed. It just stick because it's so thick, it just stays put like on top of the lip. Um, so I'll use that. And then otherwise during the day, um, I just, you know, I cheat. I go to every every brand. I do like ones that have SPF in them for daytime, but you know. Yeah. I haven't found my holy grail daytime one. I have to try yours. Or, you know, using it at night. Um, okay, we're I have a few more questions. I wanted to know, are you in pain?
1: No. no. Um, I feel so I feel pain in different ways um than you might. So When I'm in, for example, if my left foot is not placed the right way in the wheelchair, you can draw a line down my forehead and I'll sweat on the opposite side. So if if my left foot is in pain, the right side of my forehead will sweat and my right shoulder will sweat. And the same thing for the right leg, the left side of my forehead will sweat and my left shoulder will sweat. I don't sweat when it's hot outside, only when I'm in pain. But it's like that is already when I'm in a lot of pain after a significant amount of time that my body is trying to tell me something.
0: Mm-hmm. But day-to-day, you're not in pain. No, no. Okay, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Um, and what is your goal in terms of your physicality?
1: I am, so it's very important to me to get back to, to medical research. So I'm on the board of the Johns Hopkins Berman Institute of Bioethics, and I'm also on the board of the New York Stem Cell Foundation, and I'm one of the ambassadors of the Christopher Reeve Foundation. So I want to be part of a cure, not just for spinal cord injuries, but for many other um, chronic diseases and other diseases. And what I love about working with Johns Hopkins and NICEF is that it's looking at diabetes and looking at Alzheimer's and looking at um, multiple sclerosis and a lot of different um, diseases that when you, when you think about helping to be part of a cure for one type of disease or chronic condition, then it actually creates a domino effect of cures for others. Um, So it's never just about doing something that's only good for me. Um, It also is about um, being part of what it means to be kind of responsible. And so getting back to your question, yes, I think I will be gaining more movement because they've already been wrong about me a dozen times where they said, I'll never speak on my own and I'll never breathe because my left vocal cord was paralyzed and I was on a ventilator and I couldn't move my arms. And now I don't shut up and my arms all the time. So um, why can't they be wrong about other things?
0: And for the final question, if you could go back in time and meet yourself somewhere, where would it be? And what would you say?
1: Oh my word. That is a difficult one to answer. Where would I be? What would I say? I would go to like my 14-year-old self um, that was with my grandmother in Italy. And I would tell myself to listen to and and enjoy my, my time more Um, instead of always thinking about like where I should be and what I should be doing for the future, but really enjoying the moment and um, seeing the confidence, um, seeing that inner light within me um, and not being self-deprecating and not being That person that's self-doubting. So that that that's what I would do. Um, And I say fourteen years old because that's like before you get into those like high school years and and thinking about like being cool and uh, this that or the other. It's kind of that age where you understand you start to understand what an adult. Is and what a child is because you're kind mm-hmm. of in term stage. So
0: that's movie allora. Yeah. Um, all right, let's play a quick game. That was a great answer as well. Um, what is the first movie you remember owning? Clueless. <laughs> the first song or album you ever purchased? Madonna. First celebrity crush?
1: Oh, my God. Madonna.
0: <laughs> She's handsome. Um, <laughs> current celebrity crush?
1: Oh, uh, I don't know. Fauci? Yeah. Tina Fey. Also, <laughs> Tina Fey. I'm rewatching Dirty Rock. So, anybody that's been on, anybody that was on Thirty Rock or Unbreakable. Um,
0: Alec Baldwin. Or,
1: or Alec Baldwin. Uh, anybody like that. Okay. With, you know what it is? I think um, Conan O'Brien. Somebody oh. with um, Stephen Colbert. Somebody with a sense of humor that connects with other people that. Um, doesn't take themselves so seriously, but is like so smart that I, I don't want to wordsmith any of them, but right. just having that um, funny exchange and that healthy dialogue with them, that that's the person that I end up thinking is um, attractive because of the way that they use imagination and humor.
0: I I agree. So smart. They're funny. Um, Your favorite book?
1: Uh, Brave New World by Aldous Huxley.
0: People would be surprised to know I'm a big fan of blank.
1: Birkenstocks.
0: Um, The most Italian thing about me is?
1: I don't know. I mean, I feel like the fact that I can speak Italian... A lot of people don't expect that, so I okay. think that's that the Italian thing about me.
0: Uh, pizza or pasta? Pasta, of course. Uh, my favorite curse word is blank.
1: Vaffanculo. Mm,
0: cool. My least favorite word is maybe. My favorite word is definitely. If this is from inside the actor's studio, if heaven exists and you were to arrive at the pearly gates, what would you like God to say to you?
1: I've been expecting you.
0: Um, thank you so much. I can see after meeting you here why you're so successful and why you have accomplished everything that you have. Um, I mean it when I say that I find you so inspiring and i really feel like i have so much more to learn from you and um thank you for giving me your time
1: it's such an honor um to have had this conversation with you and and to see you from all of those these wonderfully supportive emails that we've exchanged and and everything it's it's truly an honor Quinn. thank you
0: okay great and please keep in touch i will okay bye bye